Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Word Processing. Josiah, it is our second episode, so we are basically podcast pros at this point. Basically, yeah, I think that's probably a spiritual gift at this point. I I mean, we've figured it out. Technology Mm -hmm. is progressing at least a little bit. It should be a little better each week. As always, I'm Andrew, here with Josiah. Just before we dive in this uh, today, it's not even this morning, it's this afternoon already, I want to just shout out a couple quick people and just thank you to our tech volunteers who have been helping as we've been navigating this online process. Uh, You know who you are, you've been putting in a lot of time, and we thank you for that. Uh, Thank you for those who emailed or texted us with feedback on the podcast and on the the messages and the online service, and thank you to you, listener, for uh, choosing to engage and dive a little bit deeper into uh, the study of God's Word. Uh, So with all that in mind, uh, why don't we go right in? Josiah, we are back in Peter's letters this week. Uh, I know I'm excited to get back in. We were in Second Peter chapter 2, and I believe, did we do the, the chapter in its entirety this week? We did, yeah. And you started out with what I thought was just a brilliant introduction and an illustration, which is the story of the three little pigs, which I never would have associated with a biblical message before or, or thought of it that way, but I know for sure I'm not going to be forgetting it now. Yeah, nothing like pairing a, a, a stern warning from, a, from an apostle with a, a nursery rhyme. But it worked. It worked great. And I, I love that we were able to start that way because uh, it'll keep it in our minds. Um, so today, I think we're just going to follow along with some of the points that you talked about in your message and just go, again, a little bit deeper, a little bit more engaged, clarify some questions. Peter starts with an expose on false teachers. What does Peter hit on here? Well, really, this is the introduction to the chapter, and if you've listened to the message, you know he comes back around to the false teachers again, but it really harkens back to the first chapter as well. In Second Peter, he's been talking about growing in maturity, and now he's going to introduce why we need to grow in maturity. This is really the reason he wrote the letter, is to warn them against the, uh, the invasion of these wolves, these false teachers. And so he's going to warn them that they are in their midst, begin to alert them to that reality, and then break from it for a moment to kind of give a parenthetical comment about God's character and then return to it uh, in verse 10 again. Hmm. And I like what you said there, this idea that they are in their midst. I think it's easy for us to think about the idea of false teachers as people who look radically different than us, people with beliefs that we we scoff at or we say, oh, of course I don't believe what that person believes. The the people literally knocking on our doors or posting opinions online that we, we can see we disagree with, but that's not what Peter's talking about here. He's talking about people who are in their churches, in their midst, with viewpoints that sound like they could be legitimate. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important note here, especially as we tackle, you know, online resources. We are, we are talking about people here who uh, are corrupting from within. They are shifting trust, planting seeds of doubt. They blend in. And that's why this is so important. And going back to even what you said in your message last week, that is so important that we are acknowledging these ideas with an open Bible in front of us, that we are going to God's word and have that planned biblical response to false teachers, which are in our midst. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crucial. It's crucial to have an open Bible. That is our number one defense. It is the sword and the armor of God, and we need to have it ready uh, for these reasons. That's great. You talked about the false teachers and that their underlying motive is greed. That was kind of where you started us off. And 
you and I, I know, have been talking a lot in the past about, you know, this idea of where is our heart at? Where is our motivation? What is our perspective? And I think that is really helpful here because ultimately in our world, it can be a, a helpful empathy tool to think through, you know, this person did this action that I don't like, but what is their motivation? Where are they coming from? But what Peter is showing us here as well is this is a very important tool when it comes to discernment is being able to say, why is that person doing what they're doing? Even if it looks like a good action or good words, where is that motivation coming from? Yeah, the underlying motive here is is greed. He mentions that a couple of times throughout this chapter. Now, it's really hard to tell if someone's doing something because of greed. We can't always gauge someone's heart. In fact, we really never can. And so I think that's why Peter goes on to give very clear physical manifestations that we can measure and gauge and witness and pay attention to, to alert us to the potential of false teachers. But he's kind of given an FYI. They are driven by greed. Hmm. They're in it for themselves, not for the Savior. They're in it uh, for what they can get, not what they can give, which is a mark of a, a biblical teacher. I think we uh, last Sunday, we juxtapositioned, you know, the false teachers to the elders, hmm, the ones yes. who are, are given the task of shepherding the flock. And, and the qualifications for elders are in stark contrast to that of false teachers, right? They are they are not to do and behave the way the false teachers do. It's literally an, an opposition. It's yeah. the quite the opposite. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, you talked about here how Peter next goes into an exoneration of God's character. And one of the things that I love about Peter's letters, as we've been going through them for a number of weeks now, is the number of times that he almost, as you say, anticipates a question that the reader or listener might have. So he jumps into this exoneration of God's character, um, almost expecting this question of why is God not involved? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he introduces this idea of false teachers coming into the church uh, and he roots that in the understanding that God's people have always dealt with false prophets, false teachers. And then laying that before these believers who are a mixed company of immature and mature believers, he anticipates this question of, okay, well, then why doesn't God just deal with them? Like, why does he let these wolves come amidst his flock and carry some away? What is God up to? Why is he not? Is he not able or is he not willing? What is it? He's clearly tarrying for some reason. What is that? And so Peter takes the opportunity before the question can even be asked or hatch in someone's mind. He comes along and just says, listen, let's exonerate God's character right off the bat. Let me tell you that he is able and he is willing to deal with them. And so basically what he comes to is, is punishment delayed is not punishment denied. Which I just want to jump in here and say, I think that is one of the best things you said in your entire message. It was so to the point, so pithy, and I think it's such an important reminder as we consider our role as the church, our role as individual believers, uh, when it comes to justice and judgment, um, it's this idea that God is the one who is going to, to judge and bring punishment, and you know, evil angers us, and evil makes us sad and frustrated, as it should, um, but God is bringing punishment, and he will bring punishment for the evil in our world. And, and he'll really get into this in chapter three next week. If we Spoiler get to the Lord alert. Willing. Yeah, is that <laughs> God's timing is not our own. And mm -hmm. so we could say, you know, punishment delayed is not punishment denied, but also rewards delayed is not rewards revoked, wow. right? Like he's not taking rewards away. And so it's this idea of the things that God has promised are going to come to pass. It's not always in our timeline, but we can bank on his promises. And at the end of the day, I mean, I know I'm not a perfect person. I don't want to speak for you here, Josiah, but... 
who who are we to decide which evil and which sin in our world deserves that that punishment of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? If God were to bring judgment and punishment now, I would deserve that punishment. Yeah. It's only through the blood of Christ that I have any standing with God. Mm-hmm. Um, so so praise God that He is uh, the God of justice and judgment, and it's not me. Obviously, He can and He will punish and reward accordingly. And and it shows, as Peter goes through this string of examples in verses 4 through 9, 4 through 10, it's these interweaving examples of how God in the past has delivered the righteous and God in the past has punished the wicked. And so he will in the future is the line of thinking that Peter is going for here. And I love just the the variety of references throughout the Old Testament that he makes. You know, Noah, stories that we all know. He even talks about fallen angels at one point. He talks about Sodom and Gomorrah and just really nailing home to his readers that this is how we can understand better the character of God that you might be questioning in times of difficulty, in times of struggle and and persecution. Mm -hmm. Well, you talked about examples, just uh, examples of how false teachers operate. And you talked about three characteristics. And one of the things that you and I talked about when we were preparing, when you were preparing for this text is this idea that, you know, seeing one or two of these characteristics does not immediately mean someone is a false teacher. And that's a a term we want to be cautious lobbing around. Um, But it's a matter of seeing these red flags. And if we're seeing patterns of these red flags, that should give us reason to pause, right? And and, and to to dive a little deeper, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people are not infallible. The word of God is infallible, but people are not. And so uh, this idea that we should never judge someone is, um, sorry, it's not biblical. Mm -hmm. Like we are called to judge in the sense that we are (laughs) called to discern. If you want to use that as a synonym, we are called to weigh what people say and what they teach, especially when they say, thus saith the Lord. And especially within the church. Yes, absolutely. And this is not a condemning. That's what we're not supposed to do. Condemning belongs to the Lord. But we are supposed to discern with squinted eyes, is that what the Lord said? Like the Bereans, is this what is so? Have our Bibles open and weigh what is being presented to us. And, And that's just important, especially in talks of maturity. We're told to grow in the faith. Peter just laid that out for us in chapter one. And knowledge of God is right at the top of that pile as to Mm. how we can grow in the faith. And so we need to be consuming teaching and content, but we need to be discerning about what we're taking in. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned this in your message. You mentioned it today. For those listening who might not know who the Bereans are, can you give us a little quick synopsis on the Bereans? Yeah, it was a group in the New Testament that while the church was spreading, they heard the message of the early church, the message of the apostles. And and with an open Bible, they, they leaned over the scriptures, so to speak, and they, they were evaluating what was being said. Does this line up with what God has revealed? Hmm. And they were praised for that diligence. And what, a, what an example and a demonstration to us of what we should be doing. Uh, in the vein of what we should be looking for, point number one, example of how false teachers operate, is that they are fueled by arrogance. Now, I want to ask the question here, Josiah, because I think this is something that is tricky for all of us, but how would you say that we would spot the difference between someone who is just confident in their beliefs, confident in their theology? You know, there's viewpoints about the Bible that you and I would straight up say that is wrong or this is right. How do we contrast that or differentiate between confidence in theology versus arrogance in perspective? I think the way you differentiate is what they're confident in, is it clearly revealed in Scripture? The arrogance comes in when false teachers peddle in the white space in the Bible. They Mm. read in the margins. They fill in blanks that God has purposefully and providentially left empty. And they traffic in those areas. And that's where the arrogance comes in. 
They say, thus saith the Lord, and they're actually putting words in God's mouth. I can't think of anything more arrogant than that. And so you'll see with false teachers is that they will oftentimes fill in blanks, again, that God has left empty. And that's where we can kind of alert. Someone's with convictions. If they can point to chapter and verse, this is why I have this conviction. We may disagree, but at least we can walk away saying that is someone who takes the scriptures seriously and really wants to understand what God has said. And what a good example there. Someone who takes the scriptures seriously uh, versus their own opinions or their own perspectives. Mm -hmm. I think that's key. You mentioned the next point is that they are attracted to vulnerability. And again, we want to differentiate here because someone who's attracted to vulnerability could be someone, uh, even as you mentioned about the elder, someone who wants to help the vulnerable or support and care for the vulnerable versus hurting or preying on them. Uh, How can we sometimes maybe tell the difference in this case? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a uh, not always a clear distinction. I think it comes down to a heart issue at some point. Mm-hmm. Am I seeking to help the vulnerable like a qualified elder would do or like any spirit-indwelt, um, growing believer would do? Do I want to bolster up, encourage the vulnerable in the ways of the Lord? Or am I surrounding myself or am I attracting or being attracted to people that are hurting and in pain because that gains me a following hmm. in my aberrant teaching? You know, because they will listen, because they are immature, because they are are um, at risk sheep, so to speak. Um, I want them because they are not as discerning. You know, this is uh, this is how false teachers operate. They they surround themselves with people who do not have open Bibles or who do not know better. Uh, that's where they like to pray mm-hmm. you know, with an E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pray with an E. It's important we distinguish that mm. when we are having a verbal <laughs> yeah. podcast. I didn't even think about that. Uh, yeah, they're looking for those those points where they can get in and gain a following that they can falsely shepherd, uh, falsely guide and direct. I think that's a very important distinction here. And so then there's an onus on both of us. One, we want to take up chapter one and mature so that we aren't those at-risk sheep. But at the same time, we want to, as the body of Christ, keep our eyes out for our weaker brothers and sisters. We're all in development. And mm-hmm. so in a body of Christ, there are people at various stages, right? And so we want to look out for those who may be behind us in development or maybe new to the faith. We want to watch out for their sake. We want to shepherd one another in that way as well. And that's really the task of the elders. You know, the under shepherds are to take care of the souls of those who are under their care providentially. Uh, the third example that you gave us from the false teachers is that they are marked by duplicity. I love that you pointed out that this is not a call for perfection uh, because you and I would, would fail at that again uh, week after week. But what does it look like to look for <clears throat> duplicity in our in our leaders or in our, our congregants or our shepherds? Or what, what does this look like on a practical level when it comes to, as you say, uh, the walk matching the talk? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, when Peter uses words in, sec- in Second Peter chapter 2, they are pretty explicit. Like, their eyes are full of adultery. They never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed, an accursed brood. You know, they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam. I mean, there's some pretty explicit things here. This is not um, the normal Christian walk of battling with sin in our mm. lives. This is people who are walking in habitual sin. They may be justifying it. They may be explaining it away. They may be even using scripture to justify it. Hmm. These are people who love their sin more than a growing, mature believer. And we are supposed to watch out for them. That You need to be around your shepherd, not studying them, but around them that you know them, right? That you know that their walk is not in opposition to what they're preaching, to their talk. Uh, and, and 
I mean, this has all sorts of far-reaching implications <laughs> in the church today. Um, and I spoke of this a little bit on Sunday and just hinted at it, but we're living in a day and age when the online presence of any ministry is is global, right? Mm. You, can, you can reach a long ways. And we have so much access to good, godly resources, and praise the Lord for that. But also, what a great time for false teaching to seep in as well. Mm-hmm. And for the undiscerning, I mean... It's hard to tell the difference between the good and the not so good teaching. And so we need to be aware. And if you aren't near your main pastor, your main shepherd, your your main feeder, you know, if you're not near them and watching them in their life, you have no idea. Does their walk match their talk? You know, mm-hmm. that's a that's something that online church, virtual church, all that kind of stuff cannot it cannot allow. Absolutely. And as you said, it can be really easy to to fall forward to not know what we're getting into i mean oh it says jesus it must be good um which we'd say that's not necessarily the case um but you made a really good point there and your your final kind of point of the message was to be on guard and i think you just hit on um what i was going to mention here which is that idea that is not peter calling us to be false teacher detectives we're not trying to go around to each individual in our church and say hmm is this person demonstrating a little too much arrogance right now maybe they're a false teacher but rather, it's the idea of being on guard, being protected, being cautious mm-hmm. uh, to make it a little more culturally relevant right now. You know, with us dealing with the coronavirus and, and COVID-19, we're not going out into society and saying, "Ooh, that person coughed on someone or that person didn't wash their hands enough. Mm-hmm. But instead, we're protecting ourselves. We are isolating where we can. We are washing our own hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that defensive, strong, mm-hmm. fortified position. Yeah. If we want to grow, we need to eat. Right? So you make meals, but you might check the ingredients list on the things that you're cooking at the same time. And the same with believers. We need to eat. We need to feed if we're going to grow as believers. But just to check the ingredients list, like how does this match up with the Word of God is just a, a good practice for all believers to make sure that what they're taking in is in line with sound teaching. Well, you know I love me a good food illustration. I do. I was just <laughs> So you talked about three things that we can be doing as a body. We're going to go through these nice and quick here. We can be building a house of brick, um, which I think works really well with the next point about discerning in community. Um, but just to ask you really quick, what does it look like to build a house of brick? You talked about good theology books, good mm-hmm. blogs, good podcasts, good commentaries, good Bible studies. Mm-hmm. What makes a good book or a good study, how do we discern what is good content versus what is not so good content? Well, let me ask you, how do we discern? You know, how, how do we, there's a lot of stuff out there, right? How do we discern uh, the bricks, the good bricks from the straw bricks from all that kind of stuff? How do we do that? I think, I mean, I think we've hit on it already. I think we have to have an open Bible. We are looking for people who are referring to the scripture in a way that shows that they value it. Um, and ultimately coming back to our community, talking with other people within our church, talking to uh, our pastors. I mean, I like to think that you and I, especially in this time, have made ourselves quite accessible. I would love to have conversations with people about what is good content and what is not. I know you would as well. But again, it's coming back to that biblical foundation. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a priority. You think back to the fairy tale, it's easy to throw up cheap houses. You know, it's inexpensive. It takes less time. It is hard work. It's costly to build a house that will withstand the storm, mm-hmm. to put those bricks down. And so for each of us, it's just a challenge. Peter's challenging us to put in the time 
the blood, sweat, and tears to build a strong house, whatever that looks like in your life. It may mean just reading the scriptures every day if that's not your habit. You've got to be building your house on sound theology. Um, yeah, if you're not sure how to discern good from bad, bring it to a trusted, mature believer and say, what do you think of this resource? Is this something that is worth my time and attention? Will this help me build a strong house? If not, I don't want to waste my time. I mean, there's so much stuff out there. I want to be very protective of my time, what I'm going to give my time to. I want it to be good things. I don't waste my time with with uh, things that aren't worth my time, right? And so we all need to be doing that. And, and again, just make it a priority. Peter, if nothing else, has clearly taught in these two epistles that putting in the time and effort to build toward maturity in Christ is crucial. And so we just need to be encouraged by that. Well, and if we're not doing that, we're wasting our time somewhere else. And so I think what an opportunity when we are staying at home, when we are isolating, when we are trying to find resources, what a great time to be building up that firm foundation um, of brick. And I want to take this away also just from the individual standpoint. We're very individualistic in the West. I understand that. But me building my brick house, again, and this kind of goes to the second point of application, isn't only good for me. Yeah, it is good for me. You know, I get to uh, withstand attacks. I get to discern better. I get to grow in my relationship with the Lord. Great. But also it helps me to certain four other people and helps me protect those around me. It helps me protect my family. It helps me protect the flock. You know, so growing in maturity in Christ is not only for me. It's also for the other believers around me. And so there's a corporate sense to this as well. Well, to take the illustration even a little bit further, no one builds a house by themselves. Yeah. No one sits one by one and takes mm-hmm. the bricks and stacks them by themselves. It takes a community mm-hmm. effort. Yeah. Absolutely. As we continue in this idea of community, I want to just ask, how do we avoid taking this in a direction that is not biblical? How do we avoid forming cliques, gossiping together, and just judging everyone as a group? How do we discern properly in community uh, without taking it to a sinful or a non-biblical place? I mean, there's two things that immediately come to mind. One is, again, as we are growing in maturity, we will hate those things right like this so maturity gossip. thing is really important here it seems like peter actually has a plan going almost through his like, letter yeah, almost like there's a theme through here right <laughs> um so as i'm growing in maturity i will detest gossip i will detest slander mm-hmm. you know i will i don't want those things and so as we grow together as a community if that starts to come up here we'll talk really practically if we're talking about a certain author a certain speaker a certain whatever and we think ah there's something off about that teaching i'm not really sure what it is and we start trying to discern together If it starts to reach a point where it's gossip, where it's slander, or tearing someone down just for the sake of tearing them down, to discredit them, not the teaching, but the person, if if that's where it goes, maybe they'll take one person in the group, a mature believer, to step up and say, you know what, I think we're encroaching upon sin here. Let's pull it back. You know, and just really practically, that's what what it might look like. Um, So that's a really good question you ask. How do we avoid, because this is a tightrope we walk. Mm -hmm. We want to be discerning, but we don't want to be consumed with just discernment ministry where that's all we do. Right, that, that's dangerous, and it's all-consuming, and I think that actually stunts maturity. You know, ironically enough, and so we want to walk down the middle there and encourage one another to uh, think godly thoughts. You know, we do want the salvation, the discipleship of that false teacher as well. Right, so that has to come into play also. And I think that takes us really nicely into the last point, which is this last but not least point, which is praying for protection, uh, because ultimately the best resource we have is our access to the one who sees all judges perfectly, sees the heart, and offers us peace, wisdom, and discernment when we ask for it. Mm -hmm. 
And if we're we're not relying on prayer, then we are severely crippling our ability to do this in any sort of biblical, God-fearing way. Yeah. Romans 8 is beautiful. It talks about the role of the Holy Spirit in prayer. And it would say, who knows the mind of God but the Spirit of God? And he lives in us. And he can pray when we lack the words. And so we want to uh, appeal to that spirit and uh, for the discernment to know right from wrong, orthodox from neo-orthodox. We're trying to discern all these things that are beyond us sometimes. We need to ask for help. That's it. And that's another episode of Word Processing. We've got to the end of the passage. Uh, As always, if you have questions, comments, concerns, prayer requests, please send them to us. Send us a text. Give us a phone call. Send us an email. Uh, We love you. Stay safe. uh, And have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.